Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. I'm Jerry Colonna, and I'm CEO and uh, coach here at Reboot. I'm Ray Foote, and I am coach and facilitator at Reboot. And I'm uh, Marty Janowitz, and I'm Ray with a different name. (laughs) (laughs) And and I'm Jim Marston, and I'm also a coach and facilitator, and also uh, a wilderness guide who takes people out into nature to support them in transitions in their lives. You know, we're gathered together in a sense because we wanted to explore the concept that shows up so often for our clients, which is this notion of that midlife career transition, the choice to do something else, the choice to, to move in a different direction. And we started talking about the fact that it's hard to discuss transitioning to a new career without the context of midlife issues generally. And immediately, I think, you know, I'll say this out loud. I, I think that the feeling was we gathered us together to talk about this because each of us in one form or another have gone through that transition. We're in our 20s and our 30s and maybe even into our 40s, we manifested one way. And then uh, there was this break, this set of questions that can no longer not be answered. And all of a sudden we found ourselves manifesting in yet another way. Well, it also points to the notion that what seems to be working at some point we recognize is either no longer working or hasn't been working in the ways we had decided it did. I'm going to read a passage from one of my favorite books. And this is from Living Your Unlived Life by Robert Johnson and Jerry Rule. When we find ourselves in a midlife depression, suddenly hate our spouse, our job, our life, we can be sure that the unlived life is seeking our attention. When we feel restless, bored, or empty, despite an hour to life filled with riches, the unlived life is asking for us to engage. To not do this work will leave us depleted and despondent with a nagging sense of ennui or failure. As you may have already discovered, doing or acquiring more does not quell your unease or dissatisfaction. Stuffing down these rogue feelings or dutifully serving your life's routines will not suffice. Neither will meditating on the light or attempting to rise above the sufferings of earthly existence. Only awareness of your shadow qualities can help you to find an appropriate place for your unredeemed darkness and thereby create a more satisfying experience. To not do this work is to remain trapped in the tedium, loneliness, agitations, and disappointments of a circumscribed life rather than awaken to your higher calling. Oh boy, that passage always gets me. 
I feel for me that passage brings up a lot of support, you know, just mm -hmm. um, helps to frame and provide some sensibility of what might be cooking. And it also has me um, thinking back in time and thinking of being with others and reconnecting with the experiences of what they might've been going through without the wisdom of what was in that passage. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, what comes up from that place for me is that uh, it's a number of things, almost like a, a felt experience. It, it connects with some things you were just sharing, Marty, you know, of, Hey, there may have been a number of things that really were okay for quite some time. And it's, it's been quite good, but now, and I may not be able to name the reasons, now something's not quite square. <laughs> something's off. And I'm trying with all the old ways to try to address that, but I'm not sure even what I'm even trying to address. It could be that. But I can't not feel this. <laughs> and here I am in it. And I'm glad we're talking about this uh, more at the level of almost like the canvas or backdrop of life, not just career. And career can be where it shows up because it could be, I'm in an amazing position. I have a wonderful title. I'm really well compensated. So why do I feel something's not quite square? Um, and then the bigger questions may be coming in. And I feel like part of what is in this experience as well, kind of moving more towards the support, is uh, a potential awakening for, I've been living up to and within structures and yardsticks that have been of service to me. But they may not have been mine. They may not have been my yardsticks of what constitutes success, a good life. Now there's an opening to go further into discovering, well, what are my yardsticks? Yeah, what's coming to me is um, the oftentimes, as we've talked about, the William Bridges work. And, you know, that, that almost seems like the noticing of the change that's coming. Like, oh, how do I engage and notice that there's something up? Well, then I move into a place of the wilderness or the in-between state of um, even even I may still be my experience of it anyway, is that I was still very much completely in this other construct. And yet I knew that I needed to be moving into another place. It just wasn't quite sure where that next place could be or could go or even the nature of it. So that's where um, I often think of of uh of hollis's book james hollis it's finding yeah. meaning in the second half of life yeah finding meaning yeah why don't you take a minute and describe what that transition was you were as i remember a ceo of a company you co-founded right and then what so i was um ceo of that company that i'd co-founded and what had happened to me is that for um, it, it just gave me incredible joy for so many years. And then it just at some point, things just started to shift where I felt like there was something more. And yet I didn't have a real sense about what that more could be. And it really was like. The only aspect that I knew about it is that I felt like I wanted to be on a bigger or a different stage. I wanted to have different kinds of conversations. And I didn't know how that could even fit in. And that process went on for, 
I mean, I think it started probably a couple of years before I met you. And that was in 2010. And I didn't really make the change until about 2000 and probably 16. So it was a long period of time where I was in this, what I would describe as the wilderness in the place where I'm trying to push out and find a place for myself, but then come back to the safety of what I know. As I'm, as I'm listening to you, Ray, I realize that my, my journey came from a different place, uh, uh, not a better or worse place, just a different place. Uh, when I got to the point that we're now talking about as midlife, I had settled into refusing to know or refusing to even acknowledge that I should know that I was unhappy mm-hmm. uh, because I had g- gone from a, a young adult arc where, where everything was volatile. I was quick to change, quick to do different things in and out, up and down, enterprise succeed, enterprise fail, one thing or another. And I, and I labeled it all growing up, you know, being, being young, you know, doing, doing stuff. And then at some point, you know, d- d- due to circumstances that are probably not worth going into, my reason for doing some of that went away, the, you know, the death of my most important mentor. And then I reverted and I said, okay, I've got a family. I have responsibilities. What do I know how to do? And I recreated an enterprise I had created and then abandoned slash lost 15 years before because I knew I could do it. And I, and I realized this in speaking to you all in the few minutes before we started that I had decided to be my father, uh, to do what duty called for. And I was resolved in that. And so I, I only encountered the moments you're describing as self-born through the truth teller in my life. It was my wife, Susanna, who said to me one day, you're not going to keep doing what you're doing now for the next 25 years. And that was like, bang. Slap in my uh, in my headspace, it led me into a period of reflection that then more in sync with what you were describing, Ray. Mm-hmm. There are some themes that have been named that I can relate to, and um, going back to pretty big time in my life where things started to shift pretty dramatically. And you know, one is um, Marty that that refusal stage. You know, it, for me, where it started to show up, I feel now with the benefit of hindsight, looking back, I can see where I was paying good attention to some things and really missing really big cues in, in other ways. And I was where things really started to happen. I had spent about five years in Italy, living overseas, helping to start up a division of Hewlett Packard. And then when the transition came to come back, I was being offered a series of different positions in upper management that I just really didn't want to pursue. And this is where I felt like I was doing a reasonably good job in tracking what was of value for me. I just had no interest. It just felt like it'd be boring and just cumbersome. And But uh, where I had really missed things, I think, and things just continued to build up is my wife and I at the time recognized it'd be important to take a bit of time before really engaging coming back stateside to reorient and take a breath and see what is it that we'd really like. And while we both agreed to do that, neither one of us did that at all. And 
Instead, I got very busy in a merger and acquisition still within Hewlett Packard. And I just got to this place of seeing how busy I was and how much time I was spending away from home. And I had a lot of reward and recognition. And it, it, there was something that was even almost addictive where I was, lear- I was learning a ton and it really enjoying the people. And there are just a number of things that were feeding me in some ways, but keeping me from something that was more important. And I reached this place where I felt like I'm just now, it's clear I'm just too busy. And I felt the disconnection with family and I had two younger daughters at that time. And I got to the place where I just realized I needed to just get off the merry-go-round just to take a break. And at that point, for me, I felt like it's not just take a break and be at home. I need to head towards something that I cared about, something that mattered, but be something that's totally out of context. So I, I did what anybody else would have done. I took two months and went trekking in Pakistan up in <laughs> some of the highest mountains in the world and just really uh, got off the grid and was gone in a very different context. And, and now in hindsight, I feel like that was so important because being out with something that really mattered to me, which is mountains, which I, that's been a long time love, supported me in just reorienting and coming back to what really mattered uh, without having an answer, but, but being grounded in a new way. And then coming back from that, I felt like it, it was supporting me to head towards and be in closer connection with what mattered, which at the time was family and, and kids and um, relationships and and work, but work in a different way. And, and that was more of the start of what became more of the career transition. But uh, it, it wasn't out of some strategy to switch careers. It was out of crisis and doing what I could with what was around me and turning towards what I could, you know, at, at the time. Jim, before Pakistan, what was your relationship to the work you were doing? Did it feel like it mattered? Yeah, there were some essential things that are threads that have mattered all along. The things that mattered were relationships. The things that also mattered were things that had to do with creating or bringing something alive in the act of business that that mattered to us all in a way. There's a community uh, component to that. What didn't matter were job titles or uh, growth rates, you know, some other things that might be external. It was just, it was something that was found in the relationship between what we're bringing alive and how it also brings alive something inside people, including me. That was a thread I realized really mattered. <laughs> and not being connected to that would become quite deadening for me, which is why I was not taking upper management positions further up into a multinational company. It's like, ugh, just felt like it was getting further and further away from that. I really resonate with these transitions in some way being a movement towards that which matters and the refinement and the discovery of that which matters. You know, when I look back over the long arc of my many career manifestations, whether I was a reporter or when I was an investor, it was like you, Jim, it was always the relationships that mattered. But even more specifically, it was always the conversations that felt connective. The theme in my life, which I 
looking backwards, I can see is a theme that mattered was to have conversations that resulted in connection. Yeah. And, you know, that's why I, I often will say, like, I feel incredibly lucky right now because I get paid to have conversations that result in connection. Mm -hmm. Not as a byproduct of the work that I do, but as the central theme of the work that I do. I'm curious if that resonates with anybody. It surely resonates with, resonates with me. As you said that, it occurred to me that I had spent the first 20 years of my so-called uh, professional era life in picking something that mattered and then sacrificing other things that mattered because of the choice uh, until that ran out. And what, what I did that was different. Man, I wish I even knew what a coach was in those days or, or that there were coaches. That was the first time I asked myself, think about all the things that, that matter. And if there's a confluence, when you talked about at the center, and, and, I, and I had, you know, actually, I, I didn't have Pakistan available and I wasn't a mountain climber. <laughs> so I had wandering around my neighborhood um, <laughs> in Halifax, Nova Scotia at the time. And uh, I actually identified for the first time four intertwined things that mattered. I, mean, I still know what they are. And I, I could repeat them, but I don't know if it's relevant. It's uh, relevant. And, all right. Well, there were, there were four things, and I won't place them in, in order. Uh, one was being a father and being a member of a, a family and a partner and having that sense of responsibility and participation. Second uh, was inner practice, which is, you, know, you all know, that was part of my, at an early age, becoming a Buddhist practitioner and a meditator and this and that, and had really been a defining piece about what was important, to figure out something about being. Third piece uh, was uh, the commitment I had made out of that to be an activist uh, version of that, rather than a, a mendicant or a hermity kind of person, but something that would be, let's call it applied practice which the terminology that was applied at that point, if it's going to be enlightenment, let it be enlightened society that you were focused on. And then the fourth, which was the surprise, what did I actually care about as an arena? And I came to the conclusion that the arena was the environment. Mm -hmm. As a father, as someone connected to society, it could have been anything, but I decided it was the environment. And once I was clear on those four things, I opened myself up and possibility started popping. So my antenna was kind of tuned, as you say, Jerry, to what, what is the confluence of what mattered? Yeah, I, it brings up something for me, too, particularly the connection piece. Connection is really important to me. And I think as I was starting to get some of this cognitive dissonance around the role that I was playing one of the things that I was so uh, concerned about was losing the connection because I had been for many years built this company and was realized one of the things I was so passionate about was this team that I had built and this group of people that we could really make just punch way above our weight. 
And that was really, really fun. And as I started to realize that I didn't want to lose that. In fact, I wanted to grow it. So the sense of team and high-performance teams was really um, a powerful thing that I was afraid I was going to lose. And so that ended up actually being a pillar of what I was looking for. You know, what kind of a team can I be in? And then I also just really loved the idea of improvisation and being able to work within a group of people and just come up with new ideas and bringing out sort of the creativity and play really at work so that it all feels kind of like, hey, we're out just kind of playing in the sandbox. And once that started to fall away, I still was like, how can I move into something that can still hold on to these pillars of team and connection and improvisation and and creativity as I moved through. And so it was like, once I kind of had a sense about what those pillars were, then it was really, well, what can fit into this? And that, you know, was really quite a long conversation for me as I began looking. And particularly as I looked at other jobs, like other CEO jobs, I just couldn't even imagine doing. And then, yeah, stepping into more of a coaching role, it leads me right into the heart of that connection and building high performance teams and helping to facilitate the creativity that happens when that is really starting to click feels just um, incredibly alive. One of the things I'm noticing is just even at this part of the conversation, just seeing how much energy and vitality is just coming into naming what, what matters and what you care about, you know, just coming alive and being an artist and a musician and being in a band and like all that's energizing and kind of heading back to that idea of what matters and connecting it with midlife career transitions. Part of what also seems like is here is it's in my experience, I've seen it in others as well is, it's not an efforting out to find out what matters, to go grab something or, you know, it's, it's actually a letting it come, a falling into what matters. It's a letting go. And even with the idea of what matters, it feels like this is almost like a transition between what should matter, what has mattered, what should matter. And I think in terms of like, well, this is what I, who I need to be in terms of being a good father or here's what it is to be a good manager or CEO to actually letting go of the shoulds and coming more directly into what does for me individually matter. <laughs> what do I care about? And it, it's like, I think of that Mary Oliver line of letting the soft animal of your body love what it loves. You know, it's, it's that. <laughs> Both you, Jim and, and Ray just provoked in me a recognition, which is that in, in my list of what matters, I, excluded unconsciously things that would give me joy because that I could not bring to the sphere of what matters. Mm. All the things I named was still in the category of duties, you know, things I felt I should do as you just were pointing to. And if I were looking at it now, as I am, I would say what I realized I loved in this whole moment of possibility was I'd always loved building things, starting things, creating things, growing things. It's kind of like my inner entrepreneur of some sort, but that wasn't allowed. It was only when it happened again that I said, yeah, I'm getting a kick out of this too. Mm -hmm. 
That's awesome. Boy, that brings up a big thing just in supporting others. And I wonder if this might relate to some of us here too, but in helping people go through this kind of transition, almost always one of the first things to come up are what are the financials? You know, it's like, what can I do financially? If I'm, I, It's almost like approaching it as a shift in career, a shift in, in work, which then just has responsibility and obligation right there barking at its heels. You know, so the first thing that I need to pay attention to are the financials, you know, and it's like, oh, it makes so much sense. And it's just such a false friend, you know, to depend on the financial part. It's what matters? What, what brings you alive? Where's the vitality? Not what can I pull off? You know, what's the certainty of what's next with a financial number that I can find acceptable and with responsibility that I can be a good person? Because it's the number that's going to influence my identity. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's, it's just... It just sparked all of that for me when we're paying attention to the shoulds and trying to do our best with the best of intentions and somehow the financials just got in there. (laughs) You know, I I, I think what we're working our way into is a bit of a guide for folks who are either in or approaching these kinds of transitions. And I'm going to lift up this notion of Finding the themes that matter is super important. And finding the threads, they're they're almost like golden threads that connect on that unconscious basis. And then the counterweight may be, you know, if we go back to that passage that I read at the top, to not do this work is to remain trapped in the tedium, loneliness, agitations, and disappointments, and we might add duty and obligation and fears of financial well-being. Because mm-hmm. financial is really just a substitute, yep. right, for safety. Yep. All of these things of a circumscribed life, circumscribed life, rather than awakening to, he wrote, your higher calling, but one could say awakening to what really matters. Yeah. Right. And the fearsome aspect of midlife transition is, in my experience, is, holy crap, the house of cards that I worked so hard to build is going to fall apart. What's on the other side? Now what? And, you know, as I slip slide my way into elderhood, um, and I think I may be the youngest of the four of us talking. So thanks for pointing that out. That's <laughs> okay. I still feel like an elder. As I slip slide into that, what I want to say to those who are behind us, come on in, the water's okay. You're not alone. Folks have traveled this path before you. And there is a place on the other side where you can feel safe and dedicate your life to that which matters to you. Perhaps even more frightening, again, I'm thinking just personally here, is that the house of cards might not fall apart. And then, you know, year after year, decade after decade, it'll keep sort of working until the end of the, that particular journey is, wow, the emptiness. 
despite all the success. My, my least happy client is also my most successful. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. Mm-hmm. I've spoken with a number of people and have felt this feeling myself as well, is that on paper, what do you have to complain about? You're doing great. And yet there's this inside, it's like, this is just not working. This is not aligning. Mm-hmm. And it almost feels shameful to bring it up. Right. And so even having that, being able to have that conversation with yourself about, oh, you know, I, I and, and realizing that you're not alone in this feeling is a really um, powerful realization. I'll lift up two things. Um, one, and and Johnson and Rule use this word, and that word always means a lot to me. One is the ennui. Mm-hmm. And living in that house of cards, living in that uh, uh, experience. And, and to tease it out, my understanding of that word is always that feeling that comes up with, is that all there is? This, this, this is what I strove for. That's what I'm living. That's what I sacrificed for. That's what I you know, went through for. And I'm often reminded of a quote I read during that period of transition myself, which was, I, I believe it's attributed to Buzz Aldrin, who after he Uh, began orbiting the earth, suffered a massive depression. And he said, when you've seen the earth from the vantage point of the moon, what else is there? And that quote for me sums up that whole sensibility. Oh, my. Just going to share that quote leads me to um, an expression of being in a new perspective, a, a new place, a new orientation. And I, I feel like that's on tap. That's what part of the offer is here is to actually have this opening be a transformative shift that who is coming through on the other side is not the same person that uh, existed in the beginning of it all. And I, I also, though, uh, can't help but connect with some of the folks who may be listening, uh, who are connecting with some of what we're naming, but also wondering, well, how do I do this? And you know, one of the things that just feels is a natural first step is to try to strategize, try to plan your way through. Um, but there cannot be the transformative shift without the letting go. And I, it takes me to those words from David White of, you know, what you can plan is too small for you to live. And what you can live wholeheartedly uh, will bring the vitality that's there found in your sleep, as the rest of the poem is relating to. But the the temptation to plan and strategize is to try to jump over the move and the opening that's really here. And so part of the transformative shift that coming into the new vantage point is to let go of a number of things that have held us in the old, in the old perspective. Perhaps then part of the work of elders such as us is to hold out the promise of that transformation is to embody that there is, a, there is something on the other side that if you let go, you won't necessarily fall down 
or if you fall down, you can still be picked up. I still have the Buzz Aldrin thing running around my brain. And while I get it, I'm also saying, man, to, to hold that view of having seen the earth from the moon and embrace it, wow, is a lot possible. Yeah. If, if you can find the path that arises uh, by not devaluing what you're now tired of or, or ready to let go. I mean, that this, uh, that's like uh, has been called the manure of experience. Mm. It, it reminds me, Jim, of something that you often share, which is that um, the letting go reminds me of the endings and the importance of honoring the endings. I feel like that's part of our work as elders as well, or just members of support and allies of those going through it. It's it's to be there with the endings. It's not to be on the other side of what's there. It's to mm -hmm. actually be there every step of the way, which begins with endings and can have this sometimes felt sense of loss where there's tremendous grief. Sometimes loss where there's joy and leaving it behind. <laughs> so the full range of what can be there, to be there with individuals as they're stepping out and not knowing what's next or what's under their feet. Yeah, and riffing off of your thought before, Jim, about, well, so, you know, now what? How do I go about this process? One of the things that's been very supportive of me is doing the work around imagining not so much what you're going to do in the future, but more how do you want to feel? And if you can get a sense about that feeling of what it feels like mm -hmm. out five years from now, far enough, you and I have talked about this in the past, where if you can almost leap out beyond what you could conceivably imagine the structure and the process yeah. to get to this future place, where you can imagine, oh, and this is how I feel. I feel creative and I feel like I'm making something and I've got a band and I'm feeling like I'm with my compadres and I'm able to be improvisational. Okay, work with that as more of a North Star rather than, oh, I need to make this much money and have this many offices and things like that. Yep. has been very helpful. I'm, pre I'm pretty sure all of us, I am sure, have a version of an exercise we work with of one sort or another. So the, the people we're fortunate to work with as coaches have the opportunity to go where you just described. You know, my, my version, any client who I work with, a potential client uh, will, will recognize that if sometimes it's two or three or how many years ahead, you wake up and before your eyes are even open, you're suffused with a feeling that says, I can't believe this is my life. But I don't particularly care about what you're doing. I'm interested in what are the attributes and qualities of that life, which I think is where you're pointing, Ray. If, if, they can, if they can connect with the atmospherics of that life, the energies, well, then, okay, it puts a whole bunch of things in perspective. Yep. Just building on that a bit more, the, um, it has me thinking about the distinction between pull and being pulled towards something that's really rewarding versus push, which is to effort out you know, and try to make our way into and connecting with those qualities and attributes that are bringing us alive 
creates pull. <laughs> I'm inspired. I'm heading there, not trying to find my way or pushing towards. I'm seeing a bit of a process here, which is looking backward and seeing what matters and then recognizing what's ending and honoring what's ending then creates the capacity to move towards what what you're being pulled toward. It is in some ways that, you know, and we'll post a link to this, to that, to that essay you once wrote, Jim, The Journey of Transformation. Uh, I could go through that kind of quickly just to name it or to give a little sure. snippet of it without... Um, so if, as people reach out and access that resource, they'll see an image and the image is in the shape of a U. And at the beginning of that U, we may be living before the awareness that there is something about to tap on our shoulders and life's pretty good or could be pretty good. It might be have its challenges, but they're all contextualized. Everything's by and large as it should be. And then there's the tapping at the shoulder. And sometimes that's referred to as the call. Um, the journey of transformation graphic and what I'll be saying is not unique. It, it actually is what I'm naming comes from a lot of different resources aggregated into something that you'll find hopefully meaningful and easy to relate to. So the call may be something's not quite square <laughs> or um, a partner saying, how long do you intend to be living this way? <laughs> um but there's the tap on the shoulder that eventually gets to this place of it is undeniable as much as we may recognize we tried not to really engage. The trying not to engage is a natural human response. It is not a statement of courage or anything of that sort. It's more of, can I just please keep things as they are or make minor modifications at the margin until we realize we can't? And at that point, there's the opportunity to step over a threshold where I'm now in the awareness that what I'm about to walk into is something that is beyond familiarity. And yet at the same time, I am trying to walk towards, even here already, towards something that is that unlived life that we were naming, something that is essential and a vitality for me in whatever words I might bring to it in that moment. But the crossing of that threshold is to say, I can't go back. Uh, I am no longer able to live how I did last Tuesday. And now here I am. And so turning towards the graphic after crossing the threshold to really head towards and be with more directly what's here, the first move is often downward in its description. And it's downward because it relates to heading into that which is underneath the surface, that which is um, maybe been bubbling for a bit, but also comes with a sense of loss, of letting go, of endings, even death. It can be death of the identity that I had had. But there's an important aspect of honoring endings, to really name them, to really let them come to close that's in the work. And at the same time, there's also an exploration underway to really see what's at the edges of what I care about, what actually matters. So the search is already there on what matters. And sometimes some of us refer to that as tending to longing. What is in the longing? It's not that for which you long, it's the longing itself. And for this kind of work, being able to tap into the longing is to tap into a resource and guide. Sometimes we say, let the longing do the work in a way of really paying attention to that helps to open up the, the world that's waiting, that's beyond here. At the bottom of the U, there's this 
Um, William Bridges might call that more of that place of the wilderness. It's where it's after endings and before new beginnings. It's the place of the cocoon. It's the place of bubbling where you're clear about what has ended and you don't know what's really next. And in the cocoon, one of the things I like to think about is in the, in the cocoon, there's this um, phrase called the imaginal buds, which hold the information of what has been and the promise of what's coming already in the imaginal buds. But it's goo. <laughs> Some of us don't like to hang out there that long. Some of us love hanging out there a lot because all sorts of possibilities are there. But there's in on a quest, this is the solo period. And you can't not have an experience when you're out on the solo time. So coming out of that bottom of the U, there's a coming into a certain level of clarity of what might be next. It's in the level of qualities and attributes that Marty has had, had shared. It's not a full-blown image in a manual. <laughs> it's, but it is a connection with something that really matters, and it's the awareness of that. So coming up that you is the work of tending to that which matters. And it's also tending to who you're becoming as you're doing it. It's not just the doing. It's not just the new job description. It's not the new career. It's actually who is the new one who's now coming forth. And how is it to reorient into the identity that's here? And the practice of that is the work of coming back up from the far side of the you into what's really here is the new life to be lived. It's kind of a quick flyby of that graphic in the view. But it is a transformative change in that who I was coming in is very different from who I am coming out, a new center of gravity. And I, another thing that's, I think, important about transformative change is I can't think my way through it. <laughs> It's to be experienced rather than planned, strategized, thought through. It's not a problem to solve. And that process has its own time. Yeah. Um, there's a passage in one of my favorite novels. Uh, the novel is uh, um, Zorba the Greek. And uh, those who know this, the story know that there's this very much in his head writer who goes off to this Greek island and he encounters Zorba, who is this animal spirit, shaman-like character. And in one particular moving passage, Zorba, with a lot of tears, describes being a boy and encountering a, a cocoon, a butterfly cocoon. And he's so excited to see the butterfly that's going to come out that he breathes on it to make it move forward in its process. And the cocoon breaks and the butterfly emerges, but it's not fully developed. And so then it dies. And it's such a powerful image of being told, allow it to happen in its own way. And sometimes that, that pull for the plan yeah. is a fear that I'm going to be stuck in this cocoon forever and I'm going to die in the cocoon. When you actually have to let the cocoon melt away is the natural process. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe we can uh, start to wrap now and uh, I, I, I'll just sort of invite each of you to share a closing thought um, either from your own life or the observations you've made of others. Um, 
Because I think that the experience of not being alone in this process for those who are listening um, is enhanced when we share a little bit of what that journey has been like for others. For me, this journey um, has been a long one, and it also feels like it's gone by unbelievably fast. And I think that one of the one of the big intentions that I've been holding for myself during this time, this particular transition for me and transformation for me, um, is to be gentle with myself and to be patient to be able to go through this process and actually learn from it and, and to figure out how to be with it as almost befriend the process rather than looking at it as something to get through, but to actually be something to be with and that it's part of who I am. It's two things that come to mind that I, I, I feel like sharing. Uh, one is to acknowledge that I've been struggling for the last few minutes around the cocoon image and the gentle piece. And I agree with all of that. And thinking of my own experience, sometimes you just need a slap upside the head and the needle's <laughs> got a and a needle has got a puncture the balloon or the cocoon. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it's it's in the penetration and the fresh air that we we realize okay I have to step uh, because because the other thing I I I know from experience and and uh, great mentors is that the path is always energetically connected. We, there's always a ground where we are now in all its complexity, and I think you know Jim when you were talking about. The whole journey, it starts from the ground. And the bottom line of the ground is there's not a fucking thing you can do about it. It always <laughs> is where you are. And whatever we do or don't do today is now part of tomorrow's ground. Same condition. And as we've been talking, we're trying to open up to the fruition, mm. the possibility in all the ways we've discussed. The only thing, however, we can actually do something about is the energetic connection, which is the past. And, and there, yes, be kind, allow, etc. but step. There's always a path from the new ground. Weird that I'm finding myself uh, on the tough love side of, uh, of love. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Anything to add, Jim? Yeah, there... I think um, two things that come up for me as well. What One that I'm sitting with right now, thinking about what it was like and what it has been like for me, it's the word daring, you know, that, um, and maybe even daring to love and daring to imagine, um, which already, it's like my palms are sweating just telling you that. Um, and I, I feel like this is a time, there's an invitation there it's a letting but it is daring because if you really for me daring to really love what what i love is also to be risking heartbreak and disappointment and and yet in hindsight i i 
I can connect with that uh, in my journey of loving the mountains so much to dare to take a trip that wasn't common. Um, for me, that was daring, uh, but it wasn't about daring. It was just heading towards love. And that's where the real thing was. Um, and then even thinking in terms of career transitions and coming into this work, I remember there was a time well before, I think it is even before I fit, went on a first quest was the whole idea of becoming a vision quest guide. I thought, that is amazing. What would that be like? And it just was like too hot to touch. I couldn't, I, that, that just was like blowing my mind. What would that be like? And, and to uh, now come through that and, and be more of that, it's, there's an opportunity to dare to love what you love, uh, dare to imagine it really coming alive. And um, that's, mm. that's what sits with me with this right now. Well, I'll close us out by just saying that um, I am the luckiest man on the face of the earth because I get to have conversations like this all the time. And to connect to each of you on these topics, these topics that have been so important to me, it's just a real gift. I'm imagining somebody listening to this in the future and being helped. And that just makes my heart expand. So thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for joining this conversation. Thank you for being my friends and for teaching me as much as you have. If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcast to listen to all five seasons of our podcast conversations and leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up. So you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. Reboot, we believe radical self-inquiry is an integral part of our continual practice of growth and self-actualization. Creating a practice of radical self-inquiry allows you to notice what happens in your experience from a different vantage point, one of curiosity. It is through radical self-inquiry that we learn to become more of ourselves, more like ourselves, more authentic, more human. We've developed an assortment of free self-guided email courses to support you in taking a deeper dive into radical self-inquiry. Whether you're looking to revamp your relationship to work, better understand your anxiety, explore your shadow side, reevaluate your co-founder relationship, or become a better listener, we've got you covered. All of our courses offer valuable content and prompts for reflection and journaling on a personal, professional, and practical level. Valuable for any leader at any stage. Explore our full suite of free course offerings at reboot.io slash resources.